when I think about Andrew, I think about me. It's weird. Like, even when we were, t- we were up, up, up in the upper balcony there, like, even the way he puts his sermon notes together, it's just really weird. <laughs> like, we're color-coded, the way that we think. He graduated from Southern, where I just am, am going to be graduating from. He sat under the same instructors. He has a heart for the same uh, idea of intensive discipleship in the church. And uh, it's, it's just really cool because you don't find, like, really what you guys are considering as you, as you vote to bring me on here is you're really creating a unique position that's not even a position in most churches. So just, it's, it's unique, and that's what I'm excited about is um, just the, the opportunities to affect not only our own body, but also the, the community as they uh, come to the church for problems. And that's called evangelism natural evangelism, and that's what I get excited about. But this morning, I'd also like to acknowledge uh, the rescue mission, man. I'm so glad you guys are here. Like, the Lord knew that I needed them to be here. (laughs) My wife knows that that is, like, preaching at the rescue mission is my favorite ministry, and the beautiful thing is, is that it all stems from this very pulpit from Royal Blue, right, where he, he had a heart for people, at the Good News Rescue Mission, started that, started the college across the street, which I'm a part of, and now, like, God just drops this beautiful family on your lap, right? And I think that there's going to be, it's going to be cool. I mean, the mission wouldn't be here. They they would not come. They're real, right? They're real, and they will let you know, uh, right? You guys guys interact with us. Um, And I love it. I love it. But this morning, yes, I would like to talk about uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, uh, to chapter 4, verse 16. And before I do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, we gather this morning as your church. Lord, your, I love your word because it says that you are enthroned on the praises of your people. And Lord, you truly are enthroned as we began with worship through song. But Lord, as we look to the worship through the the teaching and preaching and exhortation of your word, may you stay enthroned on the praises of your people. Father, help us to, to stay focused in on Christ, your son. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to do that through your word, that he would illuminate scripture, that it would be alive and active in our hearts. And that it would affect the heart, which in turn would affect change in the way that we behave. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus, your son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us to live for Christ. Be great commission oriented and great commandment oriented. Our prayer, Lord, today is that we would, we would leave this place with Christ elevated higher in our hearts. And we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so when you look at Hebrews, um, some of you know that book. It's not a book that a lot of people enter into because there's, there's a lot of theological challenges when it comes to the book. When I first became a Christian and started studying the Bible, I wanted to do a study through Hebrews, and I did. And my father-in-law uh, warned me against the fact that he said most people, that's, that's the places where, where angels fear to tread, where you're going. 
And I don't know what it is about Hebrews. It, it's just the book in, in its entirety. It's a book, I think, if you study the rest of your life here on this side of heaven, you would never, ever come to just the... You, would, you can get PhD after PhD after PhD and stack them up, and you would not... You would just beginning to just, just get at the very breadth of this book and the depth of this book. But one of the dangers I've seen as I look at you know, arguments and the commentaries over things like um, the assurance of salvation, you know, because there's this passage in here, passages in here where you think, can you lose your salvation, right? And some of you are thinking like right now, and you're like, yeah, yeah, and some of you are like, no, and you're like, you want to argue, but that's not what the book is really about. But that's where we find ourselves sometimes is we, 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 we settle in the arguments and the theological knowledge rather than what is really being said in this book. And so what I want to do is I want to give you just kind of a helicopter view and, and draw out a, a major section. My goal this morning is not to go verse by verse, word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph for paragraph, historical background, you know, all the stuff that goes into uh, a sermon and exegesis. My, my goal this morning is to simply get you to see that we can find hope in our empathetic high priest. I love you, man. (laughs) Seriously, thanks for being here. I love these guys. It doesn't bother me, by the way. They could be loud all they want. Um, But here's what I want you to consider, because there is a context here. Okay? So here's the big picture. Here's, Here's Pastor Silva's, like, helicopter view of what's going on in Hebrews. It's a unique time, number one. It's a unique time in the history of the church because people were having to make a decision for Christ who they thought was the the new Messiah. This is the one. This is the plug-in. He's came. He's risen from the dead. But then they had to keep their eye on this idea of Nero and his increasing passion to destroy Christians and this new sect. And the biggest enemy from the Jews really wasn't so much Nero as it was the old sect that was, that was already going. That was their system that they had set up. So you can look at this book in this way. What the writer of Hebrews is doing, and he's not even named. It's another thing that people fight about. <laughs> who cares? Seriously, who cares? Uh, because he's not named, but what he's doing is He's going to address a group of people with real problems. And you could think think of it as 1 Thessalonians 5 where it says that he's going to admonish, he's going to encourage, and he's going to comfort. And he's he's just doing that all the way throughout the book because they need to be comforted, they need to be admonished, they need to be encouraged. They're all three in one because they're going to have to make a decision for Christ. It's either they're going to follow him uh, they can't stay on the fence of Christianity. And that's why it's serious. And that's why this morning some of you are on the fence of Christianity. And that's why this book is just as relevant today as it was back during their time. Jesus does simply not allow you to stay on the fence. So what Jesus, through what, what the Holy Spirit is doing through this writer is he's, he's admonishing them, he's encouraging them, and he's giving them hope. All in the same, same breath. So as you look at it this morning, you're like, okay, that's great. I'm not on the fence. How does this apply to me? 
How can a person struggling with a problem like this, in this sense, it's should I truly be all in for Jesus? Which, even as a Christian, you should be asking that question. Because you live in a world that, where you're dealing with remaining sin in your own life, and you're dealing with the idea that God has put you on the throne of your own life in the sense that you choose whether or not you're going to live for the Holy Spirit. And if you live for the Holy Spirit, you will not be gratifying the desires of the heart. So this book, first and foremost, if we're going to understand how to have hope in this empathetic high priest, we have to seek to understand people's worlds, and we have to enter into their world. And this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews does. Let's look at this together. Here's what I want to prove this morning. The Holy Spirit exposits Scripture to expose our hearts so that our hope will be found in our empathetic high priest. That's it right there. That's the summary statement for this whole entire sermon, that the Holy Spirit exposits Scripture so that our hearts would be exposed, so that our, our hope will be found in the empathetic high priest. Let's look at this passage together. How does he do that? Well, you see the exposition of Scripture in Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. It says in verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and that's key, that's key, because some of you are asking, you've heard Pastor Andrew, you know, talk about biblical counseling, and you're like, I don't even get it. Like, we have, we have counselors that, that, that are doing this, you can go to them, they'll even take my insurance, right? Some of them, most of them. But what is it about what, what Pastor Silva, what is it about what he's going to be doing that's different from what a secular model might be doing? It's right here. The Holy Spirit says. That's key. And what does he say? He says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So don't miss what the author of Hebrews is doing here. Because he understands and he's entered into the world of, of his people that he's trying to minister to, and he understands their struggle to make a, a full commitment to Jesus Christ, he seeks to bring comfort to them by encouraging them and, in fact, warning them by directing them to a psalm in the Old Testament. What he's doing is kind of what's, what's being said here in this verse in Romans 15, 4. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Okay, do we miss that in all the arguments about Hebrews? We can. But when we miss it, we, we suddenly become disconnected from real people with real problems, and we miss out on the opportunity that as a Christian who has the Holy Spirit to be able to encourage, comfort, admonish other Christians with the Word of God. 
And that's exactly what's being said. And Romans, in fact, encourage us to do that, that these scriptures are not just ancient, dusty, put them on your shelf, this is grandma's faith. No, these scriptures are meant for you today. That's why it says today if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. So look at the picture here that, that you have pictured. You guys are familiar with this bridge, right? The Sundial Bridge. This is a wonderful picture, uh, I think, of what's really going on as we try to connect with people. So picture on the one side of this bridge the churches of Redding, California, that believe in the gospel, that love the Lord Jesus Christ, that are seeking to make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey the teachings of Christ. That's on one side. And so hopefully, most of you are on that side, and you're, in, you're connected with the great, great uh, commandment and the great commission orientation. But on the other side, you have the community itself. The community itself may not be struggling with things such as uh, needing to be admonished to cross over into the full reality of salvation in Jesus Christ. Some might. But they're going to find their struggles in the trenches of life with the problems that they're facing. And this is why it's such a beautiful picture because really... Are we going to be a group of people that are standing, going, entering into the bri- onto the bridge and going to the other side where people live with the Word of God to counsel, to disciple, to evangelize them in the midst of their struggles? Here's the reality. There's a book called Crosstalk. It's a book that's written by Michael Imlet. It's very, very practical. But this book is really a hybrid, and it's a resource to help us understand people and the Bible more thoroughly. This book gives attention to interpreting the biblical text, but that's not all. We need to also interpret the people we're trying to minister to. Both skills are necessary. If you are to minister in a way that correctly handles the word of truth, both are necessary and effective for ministry. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying that to to do the work of exegesis in the scriptures is not enough. Okay? To do the work of exegesis with, with the scriptures is important, but it's not enough. He's saying that we also need to exegete, we need to draw out from the people that we're seeking to minister to. When when we look at this book and we try to study this book, and we try to get at the number one, the heartbeat of what we're doing is we're trying to get, a, get to the authorial intent of the passage. That's what we're trying to do. What does the Bible mean by what it says? How would have the first century audience understood the things that are being taught here? And a lot of the times, that'll keep you out of trouble in your interpretation. But in the same way, we come to people, we enter their world, We cross the bridge into real life. And by doing that, you're going to come across people that are in very difficult situations. And the more that you do that, the more that you enter into their world, the more compassionate and sympathetic you become 
towards them. They're not just the people that need Jesus. They're the people who are struggling with this problem, and I can feel their struggle. I'm involved in, the, in their life in such a way that I, I'm entering their world. I understand it, and I'm seeking to understand them, and as I understand them more, I care for them more. And as I care for them more, they understand that I'm compassionate and sympathetic towards them and their problem, and they begin to reveal a little bit more about their sacred life to me. And as they reveal their sacred life to me, I begin to softly and gently and compassionately show them from the scriptures and give them the encouragement that scriptures offer. Number one, if they need Christ, there's encouragement there. Number two, if they're, they're walking and they're, they're trying to walk in their life, and whatever problem without Christ, I encourage them to walk with Christ there. I'll never forget my first uh, three cases. When, when you become an, a certified biblical counselor, you have to do 52 hours of training. And those of you who do this like professionally know that that's nothing because you have to do like 2,500 hours, right? But we complain because we're people and that's what we do. We say, 52 hours? How am I going to get 52 hours of training? And as I teach at the school, and I, I take students through this whole thing, they say the same thing. How am I going to get 52 hours? I kind of liken it to when I first started drawing blood in the hospital. I came there, and uh, I had had 50 pokes, right? And I was about 30% hit. <laughs> it's scary, very scary. And, uh, but I'm like, I got my 50 pokes, and my supervisor said to me in the interview, I'm just 18, right? I'm, right? I'm right out of high school, and I took this phlebotomy class, and she has the ability to hire me. I mean, right there, she can hire me, and she says, draw my blood, and I'm like, what? And I was just thinking to myself, I'm like 70% ineffective when it comes to drawing blood. My chances of getting a job right now are very, very slim. So I tightened that tourniquet on as hard as I could, Made her, you know, kind of made her upset a little bit so her blood pressure went up and her veins come out. <laughs> and I just stuck that thing in there, pushed the vacutainer needle on, and I'm like, blood, yeah. <laughs> and then my needle slipped out, you know, and then I, it was just a bloody mess. I haven't changed much, so if you see me in the hospital, that's, no, I'm just kidding. But the reality is, you guys, she says to me in this interview, what's your experience? Have you drawn blood before I said yeah I've got 50 pokes look at my paper you don't know their names because I can't put them there but just look at my paper and she just kind of smirked and she, she goes well you got the blood kind of <laughs> there's more on my arm than in your two but I'm going to go ahead and hire you she hired me because she knew that the next day I'd be drawing probably about 30 people and the next day about 30 people and the next day about 30 people and what I have discovered in counseling it's the same thing it's the moment you put yourself out there that we're helping people with problems. You think, oh, I've got these 52 people that I've worked with. But the problem with this type of ministry is the help that we need. We need the church to help. We need the church to become a culture of ministering to each other. And so we're not talking about just Pastor Silva and some others doing all the counseling for Redding, California. That would be unwise. But we're talking about equipping the body to be able to, to counsel the Word of God to one another effectively. And when the church becomes a culture, the ship starts to move. That's why these guys are here. They've seen a little bit of that. 
They've seen a little bit of that genuineness. So the three, the three cases that I got, I got a woman who comes to me and she, her, her daughter's been molested. Another guy comes to me and he is not a Christian and he's uh, gothic, 6'4", 280 pounds, wears trench coats. I first saw this guy's name's Tom. I've been given permission to share his story. But when I first saw him, he was, it was a rainy day in Shingletown, and it was cold right when the wind was starting to come, and the, the soft ice was coming down. And we were giving some kids a ride home, and uh, I seen Tom in the dark wearing his trench coat, and he's got this long hair, like Marilyn Manson type thing, you know? And I'm like, I don't want to judge him. I don't want to judge him, but he's got black, like, coming down his eyes like this, and fighting gloves on with, with knuckles. That was my first thing with him. He comes in for counseling. He says that he's been diagnosed with schizophrenia. He's been diagnosed with bipolar. He's been diagnosed as psychotic. And I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I just want to preach, <laughs> like honestly. So that was, a, that was a season for me saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That was a season of that. And I was working with a guy, Wayne Johnston in Southern California, who works closely with the Masters University. And he was just saying, you just, we're just going to wait to see what God does. And we're just going to have trust in that. The other case had to do with an issue of a, uh, physical abuse. Another one. That's tough. All three of these, you guys, we've been taught in seminary to send out. Send them out. It's a liability. But what message are we sending people we preach the sufficiency of God's word on Sunday morning. But when they come to us and trust the most trusted person in their life, which is usually their pastor, and they say, I need help, and you send them out. Guys, I'm not slamming churches that do that. That's what they've been trained to do. But what if it were different? That's what I want to present to you this morning. What if it were different? What if your church was a culture of counseling? What if your church had resources available to help all those people. And the number one person we've seen so far is the Holy Spirit. So I'll ask you a practical question. Can the Holy Spirit help a, a, a woman whose daughter has been molested? I'll ask you another practical question. This is hard because you're going to have to wrestle with this in your own heart. Can the Holy Spirit help somebody who has a Marilyn Manson look He's got a history of fighting, has psychosis, schizophrenia, and he's bipolar. Can, can the Holy Spirit help that person? Can the Holy Spirit help the woman that has been abused for many, many years in her marriage physically? Can the Holy Spirit help the abuser? You see, there's a plethora of problems in the world today. And that's where you have to begin. You have to ask that question. Can the Holy Spirit help? I believe you can. I've seen it. And I'll wrap up some of these stories at the end. So the Holy Spirit exposits Scripture. Real quick, I don't want to get into the ins and outs of what's going on here, but the outline, I'll just give you the outline from MacArthur that's helpful. So within, so he, he pulls this quote out of the Old Testament, and he says, the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice. So there's going to be a warning of unbelief, that's chapter 3, verses 12 to 19. 
And that's usually what happens after Scripture. There's, there's a warning. And then he reminds the readers to be afraid of falling short of that rest that God's offering. That's the fear of God. That's Hebrews 4, 1 to 10. And then lastly, before we pick up on the passage I want to pick up on, he urges the readers to be diligent to enter that rest, and that's Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. So we cannot disconnect uh, this passage in the Psalms into the, the, the passage that you're going to know, which we're going to look at in a second, which is Hebrews 4.12. So let's, let's go to the second part of this. So the Holy Spirit exposits Scripture. Am I making this up? All right, my friend Dr. Ellen in Houston, Texas, he says, I'm not that good. The Word of God is just that clear. And I'll echo his words this morning. So he exposits scripture, why? To expose our hearts, and that's Hebrews 4, 11 to 13. Listen to me in light of that context. Let us therefore strive to enter the rest, so that no one may, be, may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Every human will be judged by the word of God. Verse 12, we must give an account to this God, that's verse 13, and in the original context, this is about strong words to convince people on the fence to cross over fully into following the Lord Jesus Christ. This is also a warning to professing Christians today. What really matters in this world? So what do suffering saints really need? Do we need this? Do we need to be condemned to the throne of God's judgment? You guys get this because there's two thrones we're going we're to see. One throne is the throne of judgment and that's described here. And that's saying when the word of God has its effect within the heart of man, that it's really judging the intentions and thoughts and motives of the heart. No one can do that but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What he's saying to them is if you don't get that, if you don't see that conviction, that, that conscience throwing guilt in your heart, and you don't turn by way of confession to the Lord Jesus Christ, a once and for all confession, and, and there's not a willingness to turn from your sin and to turn to Him and follow in His way, that this is what the game plan is for God. That we're all going to be laid bare 
before the throne of judgment and we will be naked before his throne, which means that all the things that are on the inside that we can fool people with will be exposed on the outside. Now picture yourself between you, no one around, and a holy God who can see everything you've ever done and thoughts, motives, desires. This is hard, you guys. This is hard. That's why the next point is so important. That's why looking at this in its context is important. That's why I'm not just going to beat you up with this and say, have a good week. Because the writer of Hebrews didn't do that. Look at what he does. He exposits scripture to expose our hearts so that our hope will be found in our empathetic high priest. And here's the passage that we know and love. Since then, so so there's a context. Since then, since this is true, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Isn't that a game changer right there? Being, having your, your sin exposed, the thoughts and intentions of your heart before a holy God for judgment is really, really hard. But one thing that I've noticed about God's word is whenever something is hard, there's always comfort there with it. There's always a way out. There's always a way of escape. And God is offering that to every human being. There's a way out, there's a way of escape, and in this case, whenever, specifically whenever there's something said that's hard, I found this a lot when I did my dissertation on forgiveness, Jesus, all of a sudden, it's just like, I know this is hard, but look at Jesus, right? Ephesians 4.32, we are to forgive as God in who? In Christ, has forgiven us, Jesus. You're to forgive, you want me to forgive for that? And how am I supposed to do that? Well, you've been born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You can live for him and not your selfish ambitions and your own agenda. And you can do this because you have the Holy Spirit in you. You just need to align your will with the Spirit of God. And you can do anything. So that our hope will be found in our empathetic high priest. Jesus is the Son of God, so let us hold fast our confession. I love this. What's the confession? If you follow Hebrews up to this point, you have a pretty awesome confession. Where? Well, in the beginning, God spoke through the prophets in various ways at different times, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus is the language of God. He is the culmination of the fulfillment of God's plan from the very beginning. That Jesus, if you want to know God, you look to Jesus Christ. He is the language. He is the voice from God. And he's better than angels. In fact, uh, another confession is if, if if he even removed his word from sustaining this entire planet, just one millimeter of a, of, of a movement, it would all crumble and fall apart because everything is held together by the power of his word. Amen. This Jesus is better than angels. This Jesus is worshipped as God. These angels come to Jesus and worship him. Moses 
is not as great as Jesus. Jesus has conquered death. He has the keys. Satan's a puppet on a string. Jesus is the Lord. Shall I keep going? Because that's what Hebrews does all the way through. You cannot read read Hebrews and not be um, growing in your, your love and worship of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we do. That's what we do as disciple makers. We elevate the Son. We exalt the Word of God. We have people turn away and turn to Christ, the living hope, the living person. Hope needs to be found in Him. That's a confession. We do not have, verse 15, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Look, this sentence can move us into a realm of thinking, yeah, I get it. Jesus, as the second man, the second Adam, walked the earth. I get that. Jesus was completely victorious. He was like us in every way, yet without sin. I get that. But the mom may be saying to you, whose whose daughter has been molested, how does he relate to that? The person with schizophrenia and bipolar and psychotic episodes may be saying, I get it, but how can he relate to that? The, the woman who's been abused for 17 years in her marriage may be saying, I, I get it. I, I, I love this. I love Jesus. I get it. But this aspect of him, it's, it's hard because he wasn't a woman. He didn't have a daughter. So in a general way, yeah, I get it. Jesus can relate. I get that. In which I would reply, we need to understand Isaiah 53, verse 3. I'm going to focus in on the empathetic ministry of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, and you have a pen, and you still write in your Bible, if you don't write in your Bible, Get a piece of paper and write on the paper and put it in your Bible. I'm going to highlight something for you that's just going to blow your mind about Jesus Christ. Someone had to show me this, and it's just like, the the thing I love about great preachers and teachers is they're, they're showing you stuff that's not new. It's been there the whole time. They're just drawing it out. It's like one of those things. Uh, Milton Vincent is a great, 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 um, pastor, biblical counselor, and he's had a a sermon series on um, forgiveness. One of the most practical, helpful teachings on forgiveness. So many nuggets I got out of that. That's available to you through Brad Bigney's website. So if you look up Brad Bigney and you put uh, Milton Vincent um, teaching on forgiveness, it should come up. Highly recommend that. But I got that concept from him. This concept that I'm showing you right now. Isaiah 53.3 says that he was despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Isaiah 53 is talking about the cross before there's even a cross. This is powerful. 
There is so much in Isaiah 53 that we can draw out there that's not in any other book of, of the New Testament. It's that clear. Amen. But here, even here, is Isaiah 53.3, you have Isaiah pointing out the fact that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is a man of sorrows. It's kind of saying the same thing as Hebrews 4, isn't it? That he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Okay, I get it. He's the second Adam. He walked the earth. He, he knows sorrow to a certain extent. He knows, he knows human sorrow. Look at verse 4, verse 4 of Isaiah 53. There's been a pronoun change here. This preaches, this teaches, and this counsels. Okay, I'm going to give you nuggets. If you're, if you're ministering to one another, and you should be, this counsels very effectively. Verse 4, surely he has borne our, did you see it? Our griefs. And carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Within one verse, there's a game changer here. It goes from Jesus as the second Adam, experiencing what Hebrews 4 describes as knowing sorrow, knowing grief, as the second Adam. But verse 4 in Isaiah 53 switches the pronouns to personal plural, which if you're not paying attention, you've just been brought into the narrative. Why is this so powerful? Because there is a teaching that goes on within people, and I hear it a lot, especially for what I do, that says that if you have not gone through problem X, Y, or Z, how can you relate to that person? And there's some truth there. You, you may be rough around the edges because you've never experienced what they've experienced, right? You, you may be, therefore, you could be saying things that are true and not able to come at them with the same compassion as someone who's been there. I get that. I get that argument. But the counseling that we're talking about is bringing Jesus into the picture, and I don't want to undermine you as an instrument in God's hands. I don't want to undermine that. Because you are one of the means that God uses to minister to people. But the emphasis in biblical counseling is bringing Jesus to the forefront. And why would we do that? We're bringing Jesus to the forefront and we're bringing the word of God to the forefront. Why? I'm ex These are rhetorical questions. You guys are normally answering them, right? You're so different in church. I have to remember this when I go back to the mission. If you ask a rhetorical question in the mission, what happens? They answer it, right? At first, I'm like, wait, hold on. This is not right. This is, they didn't teach me this in homiletics, right? You don't talk to me. This is, a this is a monologue. But now I'm like, I'm just asking questions just for the heck of it now. Like, okay, let's go. In the mission, people are like, you know, I'm hearing voices from God. I'm like, okay, no, you're not. Um, and we're having this conversation, and people are getting mad and throwing stuff at you, you know. And, and I'm like, I'm louder. I've got the microphone, and I'm way more stubborn than you are, okay? And I'm going to get in trouble if we keep talking about this. So if you continue to talk, take me out of my script of God's word, I'm going to have to make confessions. <laughs> but we have a forgiving God, right? So I'm willing to, no, I'm just kidding. That's wrong justification for that. We use the word of God 
because that's where the Holy Spirit is. It's a living word. It's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You know what the beautiful thing about that is? We don't have the Word of God, Volume 1. The Word of God, Volume 2. And as culture starts changing, the Word of God, Volume 3. And then the culture's changing a little more. A Word of God, Volume 5. A Word of God, Volume 6. We have the same Word that doesn't change. I want to counsel this Word. Not the ever-changing Word of culture. I want the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the one... That when you interpret the word of God right, and you're interpreting the heart of man right, he's the one that is actually judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So all this stuff about, you can't judge me, right? It's like, you're right, I can't. But just by naturally teaching the word to you lovingly, it's going to happen. And you're going to get mad at me, but I'm not mad at you. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. So what's going on? Let's talk about this for a second. See, the word, of God, when you t- when the word of God is judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart because the Holy Spirit is judging the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus is elevated in counseling because Jesus is the one. I'm not the one. I truly can't relate to it. most people that I counsel. I can't relate to them. I don't know what it's like to be addicted to anything. I don't know what it's like to be an abuser. Honey, be quiet about that. Don't say a word. <laughs> That's a joke. Pastor Andrew's like, I am a mandated reporter, bro, you know. (laughs) Um, I don't know what it's like to be an abuser. I don't know what it's like to be schizophrenic, bipolar, or to be diagnosed with psychosis. I don't know. So I'm not going to pretend to know. But my job in counseling is to do exactly what the writer of scriptures is doing. He's pointing them to the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is is working within the heart of man. And the Holy Spirit not only judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart, but the Holy Spirit brings us to the one that we can find our hope. And he's the empathetic high priest who understands your struggles. And you can take that to the bank. So why not come to him? I mean, I think, I think there needs to be a revolution. Like, there needs to be, like, this, is, this ministry is way bigger. It's way bigger than us. Because we are in the line of people like Martin Luther who are just simply trying to bring people back to the Word of God. In a culture that has made us look like we're weak and powerless and we don't have any business talking to people with these kinds of problems. When I read the gospel, when I read about the Word of God, when I read about all these things, I've seen a different narrative. Let's make the connection this morning. Today, if we, if we hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Don't be like this group of people that harden their hearts and rather than going straight to their destination, they had to take different detours to get there. It took 40 years and some of them didn't even make it in. And you guys, we can look at them and throw stones at them, but honestly, that's me. God has shown me, if, if God just showed them a glimpse of what I've seen God, of what I know about God in his word. I've seen the completed revelation of God in the word. They hadn't seen it. 
And I find my heart, I need this. I need to hear his voice. And I need to beware of my own unbelief. Because unbelief always leads to disobedience. So where's the hope? Where's the hope? What you see pictured here is kind of something I've been trying to develop with, with uh, Pastor, Pastor Dr. Nicholas Ellen. But what you see here is this grid. You, we all know these in Redding, California, right? How many of you guys are, <laughs> you just want to annoy your kids, so you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to go into this thing, and oh, I missed that exit. I'm just going to keep going around and keep going around. And the next thing you know, you're going around like five times in that circle, just messing with them. Dad. And then you see someone in town because it's Redding, right? I saw you going around that circle the other day. Yeah, you did. I was going around it. But picture that circle. And you have four stops there. These four things are what people are going to come to you for if you're doing the personal ministry of the word. Number one, they may not know it, but a lot of it's salvation. They've looked at their problems through a grid of a non-biblical worldview. And they're talking to you. So we're going to connect their problems with the person of Christ. If they enter into that road of salvation, and they're born again to live in hope, they're going to be dealing with suffering and sin. It's not always sin. But they can be on the other side of, of it, suffering. And then the sage, that has to do with wisdom issues. So some of you are saying, Where's like the physical body on here? That's not what we minister. We don't minister the word of God to the physical. We, we encourage people to go see a physician. We're friends with them. It's called common grace. God has graced them to be able to deal with the body. They've studied their whole life. So of course we're going to have them go in that direction. But it has to do with these issues of salvation, suffering, sin, and sage issues. We can minister the word of God to them. You see, in the middle, I've strategically put a cross there. Because that cross has everything to do with keeping people focused in on Christ. It's a personal relationship they have, both individually and corporately. And the problem with biblical counseling that I've seen is it can become a lot like behaviorism. Do this, do that, do this, do that. Here's a principle, there's a principle. Here's a principle, everyone's got a principle, 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 principle. But the reality is those can't be disconnected from a relationship with Christ. So no matter what road you're coming into, Christ is the sinner. And that's how I've tried to portray that. So where is the hope? The hope is, is the fact that Jesus is the high priest who has passed through the heavens. Pastor Andrew prayed it this morning. His work is finished. It's complete. That's Jesus' work. <laughs> but when we become Christians, we enter into the ongoing progressive run of sanctification, discipleship. We're working with God. So we live in between an already reality, which is salvation, and a not yet reality, which is summation, also glorification. And we live in between that reality as we await the glorious return of our Savior. And we, we're always looking back and looking ahead, aren't we? There's hope in both directions. But Jesus, he's already passed through the heavens. Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. But here's where the rubber meets the road. This is a personal God, Amen. He's our sympathetic high priest. 
He's not just a priest who's passed through the heavens. He's ours. He represents us. And he knows our griefs. And he knows our sorrows personally. So be careful of the accusation that you don't know exactly what I'm going through because he does. He knows your feelings. He knows exactly the context of your situation. He knows how you're feeling in light of it. He understands you. And Jesus is our champion from heaven. He's not just the champion from heaven, but he is our champion from heaven. I'm going to close with this. So we've seen some things about the Holy Spirit expositing the word so that our hearts will be exposed, so that we'll find hope in our sympathetic high priest. Now verse 16 should make sense. Verse 16 should make sense now. Let us then, because that's true, with confidence draw near to the throne of, say it church, grace. There's a, there's a change in throne names here. You notice that? We're no longer being coming to the throne of judgment as Christians. We come to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Wow. Is this the God that you know? Is the God that you know this God, full of grace, full of mercy? Or is the God that you know this morning the God of judgment? Where you keep going to that throne, right? And you keep, you're, you're, in a, you're, you're like a hamster in a wheel, right? And you're running around in a circle and you're trying to get out and you just, it's just, you, you, you sin and there's, there's, your conscience convicts you of guilt. You're fe- you have fear of God's judgment. You're running and you're fleeing from him. And it's just, you, you, you're trying to make penance in a way. And, and you, you just live a life of, I just need to do things that are right. And surely because I've sinned, God will, God will excuse me from, from that. And then you just keep running around in that circle of the throne of God's judgment over and over and over again. If that is the God that you know, can I ask you this morning to turn your heart and your attention to today is the day of salvation. Because that is the God who's disconnected from a relationship. The God that we know is the God where when we do sin, yes, there is guilt, but guilt, we can can find that grace from Jesus Christ who's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. That's relational. That's communal. That's parental. Because we're in a relationship, it's not that we're not going to sin. I mean, hopefully you guys don't walk out of here wanting to sin. But we don't want to sin. But when we do sin, we have the great high priest that's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us. So that when we come to him with confession, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So that we don't have to do penance to be right with God. We come through the blood of Christ. Your sin has already been paid for on the cross. And that covers 
one scarred hand to another on the cross, as far that way and as far that way. That's how much God's forgiveness is. So I would say to you this morning, I know that there are people sitting in here who are doing what the rest of us are doing. You're trying the best that you can, but when you sin, the difference is you're running and you're fleeing. And you're going to keep running and fleeing because those are temporary band-aids, temporary solutions. Until you get the relationship to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son right, and you understand that I don't have to keep running. I sinned in a second, I can be forgiven in a second. Guys, that's one that I work on. I practice penis a lot. I do. I I wish I didn't have to say that, but I do. I find myself sinning, and I know it, and that's the bad thing is when you know the word, it's like, I know this. I don't need to talk to anybody. I know it. My conscience is throwing flags of guilt, and I'm not dealing with it because I feel like in my mind I need to get things right with God by my own works, and it's wrong. So I have to find myself preaching the gospel to myself every moment. Let me close with a story. First and foremost, the people that you work with in the trenches of life, it's not Disneyland. Okay, those of you who have worked with people know that it doesn't always go the way that you would hope it would go. The three people that I described in the very beginning, there's one in particular I want to share. Tom's story. One, because he's given me permission. Tom was a tough one because he... His whole life was about psychiatry, talking to to secular counselors. His mom was Catholic, like Roman Catholic, which, not just Catholic, but Roman Catholic, which means they don't like born-again Christians. They don't even like the term born-again. Even if you show them in the Bible, it's like you don't say that word to to, a Roman Catholic. I know because my grandma was one. Um, She didn't talk to me for months on, on occasions. But Tom... I remember just sharing with him what I learned from Stuart Scott about the image of man. And I was sharing with him, hey, this is what you've been taught, but I want to show you that you've been made in God's image. We talked about this. We talked about the living hope. We talked about Jesus Christ and how we're all sinners. And this was going on for about three months, just gospel, gospel, gospel in different directions. And one day, Tom gave his life to Christ. You see, my anthropology didn't permit me to go down the direction of talking to the voices that he was talking to. Here's what I had to discern. Is Tom a Christian? No, he wasn't. By his own profession. What did Tom need the most? He needed to be born again. What is the means by which that happens? Through his people, using the word of God and the Holy Spirit, and drawing people to the empathetic high priest in heaven. John, or, uh, Tom responded. He came to Christ. Immediately, he began to put off habits because God, this was God working in his life. Amen. He was making rapid changes. He's in our church. Front row. Amen. Loves the Lord. I, I remember one occasion, guys, just to see, see how real he is. It was Halloween weekend. And Tom was going up to the church with two of our elders. <laughs> and it's, he's, got, uh, he's dressed up as a gothic person. 
and they're, they're having this conversation. I would have loved to be the fly on the wall with these two elders. You know, they're like, well, sh- what should we do, you know? He can't go to church like this. He's going to offend people, you know? So one of them lovingly said, hey, Tom, do you, do you know that, first of all, why are you, why are you wearing that? And he says, it's Halloween. I mean, we dress up for Halloween. And Tom had to be introduced to a church culture. And immediately he, they stopped and he said, oh, I'll change if it's going to offend people. It's going to offend pe- a lot of people, Tom. But he didn't know better. Tom was weak. He didn't need to be admonished. He needed to be encouraged. He needed to be taught. Then he was dating a witch. We have, we have the prophets coming out of nowhere in the church. Thus saith the Lord, you are going to be damned to hell if you don't repent. It's like, dude, do you even know Tom? Like, he doesn't know, he hasn't been in church for 40 years like you have. Try talking to him. Try to understand him. What you'll discover is he doesn't know the concept of unequally yoked. But, but when he does understand it, I can tell you because of what's happened in his heart, that he'd be glad to not go in that direction. And he did. He, God, through his own means and providence, broke that relationship up. I was just curious. And this is wrong. I teach counselors this. This is wrong. Don't ever let curiosity enter into a conversation. But I was. I was curious. And I said, hey, Tom. Six months in, I said, have you heard those voices? Nope. Tom, when, can you tell me the time those voices went away? The night I gave my life to Jesus Christ, voices went away. I love that story. I wish it were all the stories, but I love that story. Isn't that Acts 29? For those of you who don't know that Acts is 28 chapters, that's another chapter that's not in there. But it's still happening. You guys, that story reached the ears of the, the um, person in charge of the mental health in our community, and she's a Christian. And she doesn't practice the way that we do, but, but we still love each other. We're still going to heaven, right, together. But she says, that is really awesome. That just, ne- that, that never happens. That somebody goes from hearing voices with all these hard cases, they would say, to now he's walking in his right mind. It's kind of like the story in Mark, right? With the guy that had the legion of demons. They're just gone. He's like, Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus is like, no, stay here. Go tell everybody what God did. Oh, God? Okay, this is what Jesus did. Right? Jesus circles around. The Decapolis comes back and he's got a crowd. Why? Get this. The biggest testimony to what I'm talking about with counseling the word is change lives. That's it. You don't need to broadcast it. Hey, we're going to have a counseling ministry. You don't need to do that. You need to be faithful to the people that God has put in front of you. Them, in turn, will, ch- will share. Come and see what Jesus did. It's not even about you at that point, if you've taught him well. Come and see what Jesus has done. My husband, who was an abuser, is no longer abusing me. The voices that I've heard, the diagnosis that I have, I would have lived with those labels the rest of my life. There was no hope, but I found an empathetic high priest in heaven who understands and has caused me to be born again through the living hope. As Crosspoint contemplates this type of ministry, you're already doing it. You're already doing it. 
So we would just keep equipping and keep equipping and showing you things about God's word to help you in the relationships of life. And what I pray for this church specifically is that this church doesn't grow from church hoppers, that this church grows from salvation, from transformation. Two, there's a lot of churches in Reading. People need more churches. People need Christ. People need to be born again to the living hope. Then they come, like Tom. I never had to tell Tom about the dangers of the hyper-charismatic movement. I never did, because all he knew was what we taught him. So that when he saw it, he's like, that's, that's weird. I don't see that in the scriptures. This is, in fact, this is what it does teach. So I ask you this morning in this closing, and I'll pray. What's the Holy Spirit doing in your life with Scripture this morning? How is He exposing your heart today? Have you come to the throne of judgment this morning as a result of that? Or do you run quick to that throne of grace where Jesus gives you enough grace for your problem? This grace is endless from His throne. And He's got just what you need this morning. So I pray that you would come to him. Some of you guys, hear me out. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, please, please, please come and talk to me. Talk to Pastor Andrew. Talk to one of the elders here. The very reason you're here this morning is not because you need to be a better person. Not because you can't find hope. Because you can find it here. What you really need this morning is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and I'd love to connect you with him. My whole entire ministry, honestly, I've thought about this. God, why am I still here? I love my wife. I love my family. They bring me joy. But the one thing I can't do in heaven is share Christ with someone. I mean, what are you going to do? <laughs> the, it's right there. Look. No wonder why there's no light up here. PG&E never goes out. Right there. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, thank you for this passage. Lord, this passage left to itself is enough. It doesn't need to be explained. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty clear. You are the sympathetic high priest. You offer us that throne of grace over and over and over again, and it's an endless supply. And I find that your people, I I hope that your people this morning find that supply of grace that they need to live another day for your glory, for your kingdom. There are some in here, Lord, today, we wouldn't be naive. We don't want to be naive to the fact that there are some in here probably who do not know Jesus Christ. That shouldn't be abnormal. That's all of us. <laughs> Before we, we were born again to the living hope. So I pray that this, this person, these people, would come to that throne of grace this morning. And because of Jesus Christ and what he did for them on the cross, they'd be able to bypass that throne of judgment. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen.